You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, welcome to this very special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Wonderful to be back, Owen. Yes, it is. We're talking news. We're talking um, clickbait. We're talking financial news. All of those headlines you see on the newspapers. Mm Mm-hmm. Just to, on the uh, TV, on your YouTube channel, everywhere. So uh, just let's just get the ball rolling. I uh, got this. I screenshotted this tweet. This comes from a summit of experts, apparently, and it quotes the chief economist of Baron Joey, which is Australia's newest and probably most prestigious investment bank. So smart people, and the quote is: "It will be the largest and longest house price correction in modern history." Dot dot dot. So in terms of the level of house prices, it takes us back to 2019. So they're saying, on one hand, the headline is, it will be the largest and longest house price correction in modern history. Very scary. Mm. But then the actual research suggests that's only 2019, so three years ago. And so a lot of people who hear that type of thing would be very scared. Yeah. And a lot of time you only see the headline and that's as far as you go. And the headlines can look really scary, especially if the market falls. Sometimes the market falls 1%, but they'll say... X billion dollars wiped off the stock market mm. in bloodbath. And it's like really dramatic language. And so that can make you feel quite fearful. And it's not until you unpack what the story is, what actually happened, that you can understand it a little bit more. So that's really what we want to talk about in this episode. Some of the sources of financial news we use, how we can read it a little bit more carefully so we don't get freaked out by the headlines and whether any of it's actually actionable. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it that's arguably just for information, not actually for you to change your financial plan off. Um, and maybe just some ways you can critically think about the information you read, because there's always an expert with a prediction. The paper, if they want one side represented, they can find someone who will provide a statement for that opinion. So mm. it's worth having a look a little bit further under the surface about what these headlines mean and what this means for your overall portfolio. Yeah. And uh, the media industry is changing rapidly too. So finance 
uh, in particular is changing quickly. We've got rise of social platforms as opposed to just the two big left and right type newspapers. So the world is changing rapidly. The way we get news is changing. And so being more discerning and just understanding what types of information uh, you're getting and where it's coming from is really important. We did have um, Pat Wright on the show, an ABC journo, who gave us some insights on this. And on the Investors podcast, I interviewed Johnny Shapiro, which is who's one of the leading journalists at the uh, AFR, an investigative journalist. And so we've got some good episodes for you to go back and listen to if you want to learn more about what journalists do and how they come to their uh, stories. But maybe we can just summarize some of Pat's insights because I thought those were really concise. Yeah, so Pat writes for the ABC and he does a lot of the the money stories and talks about how people work their way out of debt or got started investing um, and is really worth reading because he does prevent, uh, sorry, present a really balanced view. Mm. Um, and he suggested with start with asking questions, not with the story. Yep. So if you go with a particular opinion and you look for it to be validated, you'll be able to find something online to validate that opinion. So starting with a curiosity rather than an already formed opinion when you're looking at news and resources online. Mm. Yeah. So because most of the time when we look at, say, I don't know, we've got here, um, the ASX up 1.3%. This is an article, a very mundane one, uh, this headline, but ASX up 1.3%. The next question is, well, why? And so the newspaper will find the most obvious answer for why the ASX went up. It could just be completely random because if you know how share prices work, they're just based on the last buying and selling. So it's really just random. Um, but they'll find a reason and they'll try and explain it in a way that tells you a story. And this plays into something called narrative bias where we jump onto the easiest, simplest idea of an explanation. And uh, we do this in investing a lot. Like we say, we tell a story about an investment. Um, not, you know, we don't focus on the facts. We focus on the story. And so... I think this is a really interesting way to do it. Yeah, start questioning. Narratives sell yeah. a lot more than the numbers yeah, and the facts and the figures. Uh, the second thing Pat mentioned to us when we spoke to him last year is talking and looking at a range of different perspectives when you're trying to find out more about a topic because everyone's got their inherent biases, maybe financial or just based off their background and their history or based off the place they work for. So a lot of the articles you'll read in the Financial Review or the Age or any media site online, often this professional will work for a particular firm or come from a particular background. So they're going to say something that usually supports the narrative that they're trying to sell. Even mm. if the article's not selling anything and it's just discussing a price movement, and experts usually going to stick to a narrative that supports their chosen industry. Yeah, that's it. And so we see that all the time. Um, so start asking questions, start with asking questions and talk to people with different perspectives. Um, you know, even so we've got journalists themselves, like when you think about it, the way we view the world is built from our experience and our education, basically. And so, and if you can hear me flicking around, I've got the AFR in front of me, I'm trying to find relevant examples as we go through the episode. But uh, our philosophy is built on those two things. And so each journalist, even though they try to be independent, will have their own uh, view. Uh, we can't help that. But then the actual, the mastheads will also have, so like the, when I say mastheads, I mean like the publication. So in this case, AFR, could be the ABC, could be News Corp, Bloomberg, whatever. CNBC. Bloomberg, CNBC. They all have, they're all also in this environment where they've got value systems um, whether it's a deliberate thing, so whether it's pushing to one side of politics, 
whether it's pro-business, whether it's pro-union, um, they all have something to gain. So there's just there's also biases within the organizations themselves, which is kind of well established now. But that also happens on a micro level with individuals as well, like podcasts like this one, where biased to long-term investing. Yeah, there's um, different ways to do it, but we will talk about things through our lens and perspective and the way we do things. Yeah, and if you're a beginner coming into finance, you don't know what's right and what's wrong. Um, there's a saying that your first job out of university is the most influential in the way you view the world. Um, so, for example, if you graduated university and you work for, um, you know, say you go into the finance profession and you view and you become a long-term investor um, in that job, the first job they focus on long-term investing, that's probably how you're going to view the world of investing. But if you come out of university and you go and get a job at a short-term investing company, then you'll probably view it that way. Mm. So that's really important to understand too. And this is not just particular for finance. It works for every industry. Yeah. And the other thing Pat mentioned was finding someone else to be a sounding board. So if you are reading an article and maybe quite fearful or you're wondering whether that should change the way you do something, having someone um, with a bit of common sense to be your sounding board to ask you the questions and those things you might have overlooked. And I know you often will do that when you're investing in individual companies, Owen. You'll actually test your theory against mm. someone else and someone that potentially has the opposite view. Yeah, so people think when they come to investing, but this is also in life, is they do believe that their view is the only view and that's from confirmation bias and a bunch of other things like recency bias and all that sort of stuff. But they view that their opinion is the correct opinion. And you see that all the time in the way we do things. Um, one of the most formative things you can do is move out of home because then you realize that your parents um, have put values on you, which um, which we all go through this, that they, they put values on you that you thought were the truth and maybe they're not. Um, and then we, we, we explore life for ourselves. And when the same thing happens um, when we talk about investing. Like we research something and we accept that as the, the narrative and the view, but it's not until we actively seek out different perspectives that we discover that maybe we're not correct. And that's really important because in the stock market, no matter what you think, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a view on a stock like a lithium stock or an ETF, it does not matter. No one cares. And the sooner you can get to that, get past that, the sooner you realize that you're not actually trying to be correct, you're just trying to seek out the truth because you can't influence the share price, you can't influence the ETF. So what you can do is just focus on the best research and the way you do that is you understand both sides of the debate. Why would it go up? Why would it go down? so on and so forth. So we do that all the time. It's yeah. very important. Yeah. The share price doesn't care about you. doesn't care if you love the company or hate the company. It's going to do what it's going to do, yep. regardless of how you emotionally feel about it. And you could do the same thing with the, the headlines that you read about the property market. It's, you know, property market going to fall 20%. Okay. Why? Why not? Why wouldn't that happen? And so there's many different ways to invert. And um, that's probably the key takeaway here is just inverting it. Um, and I've said this before, but Charlie Munger, as a lawyer, would say he needs to understand his opposition, uh, their argument better than they do. And from that, you can poke holes. And I think at the end of the day, that's all we're trying to do. Yeah, as investors, we're just trying to find, like, we're not, we're not going to be correct every time, but we want to understand the different perspectives. And that means just being humble. It means putting aside the expectation that you're going to be correct. I think maybe you prepared something remark some remarks in this sense, Kate, but 
if you just try and find if you just try and find the truth rather than trying to be the one who finds the truth, um, you're 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 going to be a better investor. You're going to have better outcomes with your money because once you put aside trying to be right and you just focus on like just be right, don't be the one who is right. And once you can put that aside, um, you realize that it doesn't matter who has the good idea or what. You're just trying to find it. Um, and I think that's a that's a much better way to invest. Yeah. And most of this is not actionable. So I can read the whole yeah. financial review today and I'm not going to need to change my investment strategy at all. Yeah. I don't really need to know about all of these particular companies if I'm not invested in them. Yeah. And a lot of the articles that you see online and in the media and podcasts and things, you're not going to need to make a drastic change that day. It might inform mm. your overall perspective and how you're looking at things and events, but it's not going to change your long-term investment strategy in most cases. Yeah. I mean, we often jump at shadows in finance. We, oh, you know, what's the US is heading for a recession. The Bank of Japan's printing money. China's got a debt problem. Um, you know, Taiwan, Ukraine, um, all these different things. The reality is like, yeah, they could happen, but the fact how do they relate to your portfolio? Like I always challenge, because I follow a lot of people on social media who are uh, experts, have decades of experience in their industry, and they'll come out and they'll be like, look how bad this chart is. And I'll be like, what does it actually mean? Mm. Like it doesn't mean anything to anyone. You can have a very scary chart about house prices being forecast to fall, but what does it actually mean? Would you just not live in a house? Would you not own a house? Would you sell all of your shares? Like you have to put your money somewhere. Mm. And so... Then you ask them that question, they have no idea and they get really angry because they're like, well, it's not, I don't, I can't give personal financial advice. I'm like, it's not what it's about. It's just like you, a lot of people parrot these things and then have no answer for, well, okay, does it mean anything to me? Um, no, it's the answer most of the time. Yeah. So if we're just looking overall at what is financial media, it's mm -hmm. anything you consume that has something remotely to do with money that may inform your overall perspective. And I, I think now there's so many different sources. Most like back in the day, you probably just got it from the financial review, maybe the radio. But now most of us are getting it from news articles that we see on Facebook or short stories we see on Instagram. Or mm. a lot of people are starting to get their financial news from TikTok or YouTube. And when people repackage it in smaller bite-sized pieces. Yeah. which is changing the way we, we see things and build that overall picture. One of the things that people are concerned about is um, that, and we talk about this a bit, is when you have social media, you tend to follow people. So like I might follow you and you'll have a view on budgeting or whatever or on, uh, I know you love your, your speculative mining stocks. So like I follow you. Right. We should probably add that that was a sarcastic comment. Yeah, that was a sarcastic comment. For anyone the from podcast. the US that doesn't understand Australian sarcasm. Uh, and so if I follow you, I begin to curate my feed to just the type of information that suits my worldview. And this mm. is, if you think about a Venn diagram, so Venn diagram is that thing with that, which is a, like a, uh, a rectangle and then it has two squares and they overlap. It can be three squares, but typically two squares and they overlap in the middle. So there's this like common point in the circles. So I just say squares. Yeah, I, I was like, are you the only one that does a Venn diagram with squares? Because Maybe. I've, every other one is Whoa, in a circle. Hold on a second. Yeah, so it's too early. I've only had two coffees. <laughs> okay, so two circles. Yes. Imagine that on a piece of paper and they overlap in the middle. There's like the facts in one of the circles and then there's kind of like 
your beliefs on the in the other circle. And where they overlap is facts and your beliefs. And in that part is the only point that we see. So we only see the information that we agree with and we only see the information that we believe is true. And it could be objectively true. But by using social media, what we do is we ended up funneling all of our news into that part and we tend to overlook the other facts of the matter. And so I think it's really important to understand that you know, we've got this thing called social media where we do get information and it's important to follow people that maybe you don't agree with because then they will bring more balance to your news feed. It doesn't have to be, you know, finance could be anything, but um, I think that's really important. And there's an argument that when we get news in particular, that the world is becoming more polarizing. So we've got um, social media, like fake accounts on Facebook and all this sort of stuff. But it's important to, like a lot of the data shows that actually the media was more polarized before social media, Mm. particularly in the United States, not so much here in Australia, but um, it was more polarized. Um, And so it's just, I think actually social media can be used as a great tool. And we Mm. see a lot of Finfluencers, this is a a media source, who may not be um, licensed to give financial advice in Australia, but they actually have really good perspectives on things because they don't come with the usual kind of like background of like being financially trained and stuff. They're like, no, this is just the thing that works for me. Yeah, this is how I personally budget. This is how I've hmm. saved money when I'm traveling. And that gives you a lot more of a personal perspective. Yeah. And then it's, you have to understand that if someone that's 20 years old standing behind a ring light and an iPhone 10, if they're giving you life advice or advice on finance, You've got to understand the limitations of that information, right? So when we talk about financial media, it can be from that individual person, you know, in their living room or their parents' living room, giving you advice on which ETFs to invest in, um, right up to Bloomberg, which has people that have 60 years of experience. And they still get the headlines wrong. And they still get it wrong, right? So it's just important to understand where that information is coming from, which we'll get to, and just be a bit discerning and understand the limits of that. I think that's really important. Sorry for the rant. You're no, welcome. no, it makes sense to me. And yeah. everyone has those limitations. Everyone's got their circle of competence when yeah. it comes to talking about different areas. And even the experts don't don't uh, often know. They're making a guess or they're making a prediction. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to some things in just a minute, but um, I think some of the experts are some of the most dangerous people mm. because they're the ones that confuse you. If you can't understand it, but it sounds smart, we're more likely to believe it because we're like fearful, but here's a, here's a truth sayer. Like here's a person that is an expert. It's verified. There's social proof. This person has a degree from Melbourne university and they've, they're the chief strategist of this thing. That sounds really important. Yeah. And when you hear them on the news talking about a particular company in a smart suit, you think they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's a running joke. Um, Jim Cramer who's a commentator from the United States on stock market matters. Um, there's this whole thing called the inverse Kramer. Basically, whatever he says, do the opposite of. <laughs> and the idea is that because he has to comment on so many things, it's like live TV every day. Um, he just can't get it all right. And he's yeah. a guy that's held as an expert, probably the most watched mm. financial person in the world. Isn't he partly entertainment he's as well? He's entertainment as well, yeah. So he's a bit more like fun. But there's like, people take it as a joke and say this is an inverse Kramer effect like whatever he says do the opposite of and you might be okay there used to be a thing I don't know if you know this Kate there used to be a thing in the Sydney Morning Herald where they did the um, 
the stock picking. They did like 10 experts oh, yes. to pick like yep. 10 stocks. Um, but they were, there was one time when they actually did the Grim Reaper. So it was like this fake account where it was like the opposite of what everyone says. Okay. And the Grim Reaper at the end of this stock picking competition with some experts and some readers of this particular news source, the Grim Reaper actually was one of the best performers. <laughs> So, well, there you I mean, go. There you go. So that's a stock tip yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, Sorry. one thing that I, I believe is really helpful when reading financial news and demystifying it and really just making those headlines less scary is knowing some of the words. So some of the terminology that you'll see on the radio, on the newspaper, on the TV, in the headlines, if you understand some of these key words that you're going to see a lot, I think that really makes the whole thing less scary. Because when you see billions wiped off the market, as a yep. headline, that sounds really scary. But if we actually understand, well, what market and mm. what is billions in the scope of the overall thing? Because it can often be a very small, tiny amount. Yeah. So we have this uh, bias. Um, when, when humans think, we tend to think in straight lines. But if you look in nature, there's nothing that's straight. Um, everything is wavy from trees to leaves to rivers. It all goes in different directions, right? But we're wired as humans to think of um, straight lines. And so when we think of numbers, we, we do the same thing. When we get to really big numbers, we tend to just get like bamboozled by them. Yeah. So if you go back billions and they just do some crazy number, you're just like, whoa, that's huge. I can't comprehend, com comprehend yeah. how big that is. But if you go, yeah, it's down 2%. Uh, it's a totally different reaction. And we see this with analysts too. So analysts, when they make their forecasts, they actually do this thing where they go, they just, in an Excel spreadsheet, they just copy and paste the formula from left to right. And they're like, 10% growth, 10% growth, 10% growth, 10% growth. And this is like what they're forecasting for a, a company, let's say, for sales. But then if you actually look at the numbers, 10% on 10% on 10% on... By the end of the, like, the, the last year of that, it's like the company's like, 20 times bigger than what they've actually it is today and you're like hold on a second you're saying between now and 10 years it's going to get like 20 times bigger and he's like no 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 it's only 10% growth I'm like no actually look at the numbers mm. and so people do this both ways they have the bias of really big numbers and really little numbers and it's very easy to think billions because we only have thousands of dollars in our bank accounts and we think geez that's really bad it's like when the the photographers for the news organizations took photos of the lines at COVID to get their, vac uh, to get their vaccinations or to get um, tested, they would do the long lens where you look down the line and it looks like the line's about three or 400 metres when really it's only about 50 metres. Um, <laughs> There's always different ways to yeah. interpret and show things. And I think if you're, you're new to finance and all this terminology, we did a good episode um, a few months back, I'll link it in the show notes, where we actually busted mm. a lot of the jargon you'll read about when you're looking at financial media um, in our Shares Month series. So that goes through at least 10 different key terms that you'll hear about, including blue chip and um, ASX 200 and NASDAQ and what all of that means. Yeah. So let's just be real quick with this. Um, ASX 200 is just the top 200 companies put into one number. They just track the share price. Same with the Dow Jones, NASDAQ and S&P 500, except those are US um, when we talk about the Australian dollar, we're talking about the Australian dollar to the US dollar. Uh, that doesn't tend to move around much. Um, but if you're in the United States, you would say the US dollar to Australian dollar. You'd say it the other way around. Uh, the euro is just the Australian dollar to US dollar. Pound is Australian dollar to um, Great British Pound. The RBA is the Reserve Bank of Australia, so they're independent. Everyone has an opinion on the RBA and what they should or shouldn't do because the RBA doesn't fight back. 
every economist and every financial guru has an opinion on how wrong the RBA is because they know no matter what happens, they can say whatever they want. The people at the RBA are never going to reply to them. So it's like a one-sided fight. So it sounds smarter than it really is. And we all know that interest rates are just are set by the RBA, but they affect what you pay on your loan and what you get in interest. And those are the levers. So those are the, the key terms. But um, yeah, don't be like, take some time to understand those essentials because it will make you a more, more informed consumer of finance. And we've got great courses and free stuff on that. Yeah. Cool. So Kate then, how do you, let's start to talk about how do you think about when you're reading the news, how do you think about deciphering it? Yeah. So the first thing is I'm going to look beyond the headline. So I think that's really important that you don't just read the headline. You actually go and read the whole article mm-hmm. if you're actually letting it filter into your brain because uh, I've been guilty of this myself is you end up parroting that headline to someone else and then they parrot it to someone else without actually reading the article and going, oh, that headline is kind of true, but only within this particular context. And you'll often see this with in financial media with studies. A company will do a survey of 200 people in Australia, but only from this demographic, and they'll extrapolate yeah. that to a huge headline. And so it seems like everyone in Australia is doing this or not doing this or not saving this. But when you read it, it's actually a very small section of people they're reading. So I think the first thing is to actually read the fine print. So in this case, read the article, look at their sources, where they're getting the information from. Mm-hmm. What are the facts? Can you find any other places to find the information? So sometimes they'll quote things that you can verify through the Australian Bureau of Statistics or different places like that. It might be coming from the census. It might be from their own internal survey. And then you read in the fine print, oh, they surveyed between this date and this date and only this amount mm. of people. So, and even like what is their bias or what incentive do they have to write this article? Mm. Most people uh, are not writing just for fun. The mostly content you see on social media and on different news sites, they've all got an angle or a bias or something coming through. Mm. Yeah. So those are really, um, yeah, really important ways to think about it. Um, and I think, like you said, once you're off first base, once you have an understanding of the basics of finance, you then you can become more aware of the different things. But in particular, that bias piece is really important in finance. Uh, everyone's got an agenda to push, um, it seems, even like down to the humble you know, individual investor. Um, if well, it's we're a- pushing a long-term investing. We're pushing well, yeah. dollar cost averaging because yeah. we've seen that it works. The data shows that it works. But there's a lot of other ways you can invest. We don't talk mm. about property investing as lot, a lot because that is not really the way we invest. Yeah, but it, it you know, it's valid. Um, and I think you mentioned before about the sample sizes and that's really important. Like we see that with a lot of the the studies like AMP came out with one recently. I think they had about 2000 people, which is probably, you know, the statisticians in the room are thinking, yeah, that's okay. Um, finder tends to do them quite frequently. And I don't think that sometimes their sample sizes are bigger. Sometimes they're smaller. We did a study, right? How's this for a headline? 97.5% of investors will use ETFs going forward. That We could have spun that headline because we did a survey of RASC members and 97.5% of them said they're going to invest in ETFs, right? But if you think about the sample, the sample is people who follow us and they are investors. Yeah. So they're probably indoctrinated into ETF investing. So of course it's going to be biased. But Joe Bloggs down the street that's never heard of an EFT, he doesn't have a clue. He's not going to invest in them. So... 
it's important to understand like where these numbers come from. And we in finance, they get very sophisticated in how they kind of like massage the numbers. Like in um, science and in academia, we're supposed to prove our our theory, our hypothesis wrong, right? Not correct. We're supposed to prove it wrong. That's basically all we can do. Yet even academics will try and massage things to try and get good outcomes. But then it gets peer reviewed and they get squashed, right? Whereas in finance, you can have a very, very intelligent sounding and prestigious firm. Um, and they can come out and say, look at this return over the past. And they can give you 20 years of track record of this strategy that they could have done. They haven't done it yet, but they could have done it because they've crunched all the numbers. And then you're like, wow, it's really impressive. And then they try and do that and it doesn't work because the world changes. And so these types of things happen all the time. We call them back tests in finance. And you see this with some ETFs. Some ETFs will come to the market as a brand new ETF and they'll say, the index has done this. Like this is like the index meaning like if it just invests in a set number of shares, what would that have done in the past if it was in existence? The index has done this. So our fund, we're going to follow this index because it looks good, um, which it might be, but there's a big chance that it won't be. So that happens a lot too. And we see headlines written on those types of things and examples of how studies, maybe poorly done, are used to influence us going forward. Yeah. So understanding that sample and how they arrived at it is also important, particularly when it comes to money. You can go and do that if you want to, I don't know, f find the latest whatever uh, in your industry. But for finance, when it comes to your money, don't leave it to just reading the headline. Yeah. And uh, Owen just gave you an example of how easy it is to mix up terminology with EFT and ETF. But I think that's really important that you actually, when you're reading, you make sure you're looking for what you're specifically looking for. Because if you're reading a study about share investing, it's going to be very different to a study on ETF investing. So you've mm. got to watch out for those words in finance as well. Yeah. Canstar, um, to try and beat our website in Google search results, they know that most people say EFT, which is incorrect. And so they did exactly the same thing as our website, but they did it with EFT and they got the higher ranking. <laughs> <laughs> so they knew what people were doing wrong and they fed into it and then they turned that. Then eventually they corrected it once they got to scale. Yeah. So that happens. Yeah. You know, they respond to what the people want yes. and then turn it into something else. And they'll often media will try and fill a gap. And another thing to keep in mind is when you are reading financial media, are you reading for knowledge and to increase your understanding or are you reading for entertainment? Because yeah. there's a lot of entertainment in the financial space. There's a lot of stuff that just fills the gap or mm. um, gives people what they want, not necessarily what's going to help them long term. That's the thing that we've always struggled with on this podcast, right? Is because we want to give people the right information and we want to do it in a proper way. But you'll notice that, and we see this with our, if you're listening to this, thank you, but we notice it from our end when we look at the different topics that we do. If we focus on something that's important, but not that much fun, we don't, we might get half the people listen to the episode. But if we bring it down and we go down from this is what you need to this is what you want, the further we go into the want, the bigger our audience becomes. And so we have to be very delicate around where we want to be. And do we want to be like other podcasters that might go right down the bottom and go into what is going to feed the audience? Or do we want to maintain some of that? And that's the, the struggle with every news outlet and every... Uh, entertainment and news sources 
where do we sit on the spectrum? And we've got really prestigious fact-checked um, news organizations at one end, and then we've got infotainment in finance down the other. And so it's just important to understand that too, that as publishers, that's what we struggle with. Yeah. You know? And I think it's fine looking at, at in entertaining financial content. I mean, I, I do that too. And I, I like reading about people's money stories or um, like fun reviews of videos. There's a lot of YouTubers in the US that will provide a lot of uh, mm. infotainment when it comes to finance, but you just need to know what lens you're viewing it through when you do it. Mm. And also the other thing we wanted to talk about is looking for a wide variety of independent sources because it is so easy, as Owen mentioned before, to fall prey to confirmation bias and yeah. only read articles that support other articles. Yeah. And especially when you're getting started, you're if you're doing all of this research yourself and you're looking at different podcasts and YouTube videos and news articles, maybe you're on the Money Smart website, you're building this puzzle of how finance works and how you're going to figure this out for yourself by looking at lots of different pieces. And you need to figure out how to bring it together, but you also don't want to just find all your information from one source. Yeah. I'll give you an example of this. Have you ever heard the study um, that when Fidelity did their review of all of their customers, they found that the customers who were dead had the best performing investment portfolios? Yep. Have you heard of that? Yeah. That's not actually true. No. But yeah, it's parroted everywhere. Everyone, <laughs> I feel like we've probably parroted that yeah, before. Yeah, we did in the past. And then I went back and I was like, hold on a second. Let's look at this because we wanted to believe it. Yeah. If you just do nothing, your passive investments are going to work. Look at this. Wonderful. Actually, it was a furphy. It wasn't true. And people are still running around and even news publications are still running around publishing this thing. But for everything that I've found, it's not true. And so... We believe the story before we look at it. And everyone just referenced the same articles that were pushing this thing. And, you know, that happens. And so trying to find different views on that is really important too. I put out something recently and I actually made a mistake on LinkedIn. I actually put out a, a bit of a sample of Australian companies that have underperformed the Vanguard Index Fund, the VAS ETF. And... My conclusion was that less than 10% of companies will beat Vanguard over time, less than 10%, right? Because there's a study in the US that says it's like more like 2 or 3%, um, so meaning that index funds most of the time win. But someone then went to a different database and showed that it was between 10 and 20% of companies. So it's a huge difference. All mm. of a sudden, you go from 10% to 20%. Then all of a sudden the case becomes, okay, maybe I should look beyond index funds, right? Yeah. You know, it's not one in 10 anymore, it's one in five. And there's another study, Kate, and this is a study that was referenced in um, Tony Robbins' book, uh, The Money Game. And in this book, and you've heard me say this before, the stock market corrects, meaning a 10% fall once every 357 days. Now, he got that study from, I believe, Business Insider, who published it. And Business Insider got that article from this weird journal article that I can't really trace back to the actual data set. So then I don't know for sure if it's true, but then I went back and looked at the Australian market over the last 25 years or so, and it looked like it was about correct. So I stuck with it, right? <laughs> but we don't know. Yeah. So there's a few different, there's a book there, one of the world's biggest books on finance. There's one of the most uh, reputable business publishers. And there's a journal article that seems to be the one that everyone's referencing, but I can't tell for sure. So you can see multiple different angles of the same problem. But is it correct? Don't know. Mm. 
Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, but I, I just, I'll make sure I look at a lot of different sources for financial news because at the end of the day, I'm never going to hold one thing to be ultimately true or change my decision. I'm building mm. that using lots of different pieces of the puzzle. So whether I read an academic report, which is not really necessary, but I kind of do it for interest, whether I'm reading multiple different finance books, which will often take things from other finance books or other academic reports or other studies. So everything usually comes from somewhere and things, as you mentioned, get reused time and time again. Um, Whether I'm looking um, at social media, whether I'm talking to my friends and family and wider investing network, I'm just using this as a small piece of the puzzle. So I'm never relying ultimately on one single source for my Mm. financial news and information and building that bulk of knowledge. Yeah, we see that with dieting a lot too, right? Like every bloody week, there's someone appearing on Sunrise with this new fad diet and some shakes that you can drink and you'll lose weight. Boom. Doesn't work. So the like, there's a guy on uh, Instagram for anyone that's vego or vegan. You might already follow him. His name's Plant Proof. Um, brilliant fellow, and he basically just spends every day of his week summarizing journal articles uh, and proper like studies, not just like we got a hundred people in a room and got them all to drink this shake. Um, like the proper journal articles, and then he summarizes them. Um, and there are many people, we've had people on the show that talk about diets and those types of things, and we can see it being manipulated there. Um, Kate, I'll give you a test. This is on the fly, right? Sorry. If I give you three numbers, I want you to identify the pattern. Right? I want you to tell me what the next number is going to be. All right, here we go. The number is two, four, and eight. Monique, you can play along too if you want. Two, four, eight. What's the what's the rule that I'm using? Probably sixteen. Two, four, eight. Probably sixteen. Right. The rule is actually just positive numbers. Right. But they're put in a pattern, and we think, well, the next one has to be sixteen. Yeah. Right. And so this is what we have in finance, where we go, stock market down, RBA interest rates up, therefore rates. It could be anything. <laughs> like it could be. Any one of a universe of explanations, but we picked that one. And so we do this in finance all the time. We look at uh, different things and we go dot, 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 boom. In 1927, I think it was, Ben Graham, who's the mentor of Warren Buffett, summarized, and it was very elegant. He said that if investors see things happen three times, they take it as truth. And basically that if stock price goes up because of X, stock price goes up again because of X, Stock price goes up again. X is true. Therefore, keep repeating that process. Mm. Um, and we get proven time and time and time again that there's no formula like that. Yeah, there's a big danger in extrapolating a few events to a trend. Yeah, and that's um, that idea of the pattern is – I didn't come up with that. That um, A lot of teachers use that to try and show kids that oh, this thing called confirmation bias and Mm -hmm. recency bias and all these types of things that creep into our head. Yeah. So where shouldn't we get financial information from? Well, I've come up with a list and I kind of wrote this on the way in this morning and uh, it's quite extensive. But the one thing that people should know about is in finance, you've got the journos. So we've talked about how they report the news and a lot of them are really like from the AFR and ABC and for the most part from the Australian, like they're all reputable, good honest people. But then there might be some agenda at the top 
that influences the way that the direction of an article goes. But there's actually something else that happens in finance. And we saw this recently. We got, for most people who are new to finance, we got an introduction to this, the dark underbelly of financial world. And that was when all the Finfluencers got cracked down on for doing affiliate marketing. So you could go and you could look at your favorite Instagrammer and they might say, look at ING's bank account, click this link. And then they get five bucks if you sign up, right? And that's an example of there's an incentive for someone to do something, Mm. right? But this is not new. And some of the biggest investing news websites in Australia are owned by PR companies. So these are websites that are designed to be run for the benefit of the companies being reported on. So I'll give you some examples. The Market Herald, Hot Copper, and Stockhead. These are three of Australia's biggest financial news. So if you Google why is that Telstra share price down or something like this, one of these websites might come up. And they're paid for by companies that want to be on those websites. That's very different to a lot of other industries where the articles appear because they just they they appear like they're just news. Yeah. So they're kind of like forcing this stuff in front of you. And this is why when we see a lot of people if if uh, on Reddit or on Hot Copper, these are forums, big investing forums, um, people on those websites they form a view about an investment, then they link to then they say, look, this company reported on it. But what you're actually doing and what they're doing, those people probably without knowing, is that they're actually, they've got the, the idea from that website, mm. they took that as their view, and then they use that reference as proof of yep. that view when it was all part of a thing. So, sorry, I'm getting bogged down. <laughs> I wouldn't trust any of the massive news outlets for actionable investment insights. I think, personally, I think in the modern world, um, I think that the way we are with media these days, the probably the best place to get your news is when you can, one, look at the track record of the person saying something, and two, when you when it comes from an individual. Because I think if it comes from an individual as opposed to the, the kind of the company's view on something, it's very easy to hide behind the company's view of something. But when an individual puts their name to something, they have some type of, like responsibility yep. to themselves because if they trash their uh you know their view if people you know, their brand no one's going to trust them in the future so and we see this in the we see this around the world taking shape a lot of businesses and industries in particular finance has gone from trusting the brand like amp to trusting the individual like scott pape yeah and so I think that's one thing that I tend to do. That's I tend to focus on is like who are the people that say things that are right. Like a lot of people point to uh, Chris Joy, who's the founder of some bloody investment fund, as like being this super genius. Um, but I don't really listen to anything that he says. Yeah. Um, and so there, he's not the only one. This is not nothing against him. He has different views. Um, I tend to look at if I'm looking at overall stuff, I look at Vanguard, BlackRock, I look at uh, State Street, there's a trillion dollar money managers and they produce really well-rounded research, only about once a year, so they don't spam you. Bloomberg, I use for technology news, it's free on YouTube. I still read the AFR and the Financial Times, but not for like actionable ideas, just to see what's happening. Yeah, it's good. I think the AFR is a good tool to know what's happening with the Australian economy and with businesses and like if you're interested in a particular company, oh, 
what are they doing? What are their plans? What are their ways mm. to make energy more efficient? Things like that. Like that's a, it's a good to give you an all round perspective of what's happening with Australian businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you read a book, a finance book, it's always good to have the references. Like we talked about Elizabeth Dunn with uh, recently on the podcast. She's an academic that's also an author, who's also an author. And she lists all of the resources, just like an academic would, yeah. at the back of the book. That's fantastic. Yeah. And most of the finance books that are published in Australia and the US will have, uh, if they don't have footnotes, they're going to have a, a bibliography at the end, which says uh, this resource, it'll break it into chapters. And so you can actually go and read those articles mm. and, or journals or other people's perspectives. And then it takes you through like a full rabbit hole to really explore the idea in which more detail. Which is great though, because then you can verify it, right? Mm. Um, I think that's really important. That's what we're taught when we do those bloody assignments at university. <laughs> It's harder to do the referencing than it is to do the actual assignment. Yeah, and and also a lot of that information changes over time. So a finance book written 10 years ago may be citing studies that uh, are no longer as relevant or wouldn't hold up today. Or they might be mentioning, that happens a lot when finance books mention particular stocks or investments. Yeah. 10 years later, it's very different. So you need to make sure you look at the date something's been published as well. When So I mentioned Ben Graham before, he's the father the father of value investing, like picking cheap stocks. When he wrote that book, it was blasphemy. You do never, you never pick companies to invest in based on their profit. You only pick it based on what everyone else is buying. It's all driven by sentiment at the time. This is the 1920s and 30s. And when he came out and said, no, you can just buy these companies. They have like lots of cash, no debt, and they're making profits. Like just buy them. Um, well, at the time that was really relevant. So when he wrote the book, Super relevant. His formula worked, but then over time, it's, it's disappeared. And I think I think it was you, Kate, that I think you might have put this in the notes. Is Morgan Housel's rule for financial news? Was it you that? Oh uh, yeah, um, it was a quote from Morgan Housel that every piece of financial news you read should be filtered by asking the question: Will I still care about this in a year? five years, 10 years. The goal of information should be to help you make better decisions between now and the end of your ultimate goals. Read old news and you'll quickly see that the life expectancy of your goals is higher than that of the vast majority of headlines. Yeah. So give you an example. If you go, so one of the longer running financial news sources, and I do like this as an overall thing as a stock picker, Livewire, which is one of the most popular websites for individual stock investors. Yeah. Um, I did this as an exercise and I went back to like the beginning of Livewire's videos and looked at people's views on bank shares and had some of the most prominent investors in the country talking about bank shares. And it turns out they're like all wrong, but the stock still went up. <laughs> so <laughs> for different reasons, for whatever reason, the stocks went up, yeah. but none of them were correct. And I just thought that that was telling, like, Obviously, whatever they were talking about at the time made no difference. Um, but what, you know, no one could really explain, but it just goes up. And, you know, that we see that more, it's more pronounced on the negative side. People mm-hmm. are like, bank stocks sell bad, right? And that sounds a lot more convincing than, listen, I don't know why Commonwealth Bank's going to keep going up, but I feel like it's going to serve more customers, you know. Yeah. It's probably going to keep happening. But people don't like that opinion. You're just like, I feel like it's going to get better. They want these experts to have a specific reason for why this company went up or went down. So even if it's not true at all, they need to provide something. Yeah. Like when I go onto Twitter and 
Like, I'm like, I invest in the stock market because I believe the world's going to be a better place in 10 years. And everyone's like, all right, mate, go and blow <laughs> your bubbles. <laughs> yeah, go over there. Go dress in your colourful clothes and go sit in the corner. Um, let, the, let the adults talk now. Well, optimism isn't really a, a popular trend. It's, yeah. it's much easier and easier to get media and headlines if you provide a negative point of view. Yeah. So, Kate, can you give us a kind of how do you be an informed consumer? Give us yes. your bullet point list. Okay. Really quick. Is the content based on data or opinion? Mm-hmm. Are you reading this for education or entertainment purposes? Uh, is this article looking at the past or is it predicting something in the future? Because I think that's Great important point. to Great know point, as well. Yeah. Can you actually verify any of this by following the references or the source materials or the studies they've actually done and figure out, okay, is this just extrapolating way too much off this data set or is it actually verifiable? Mm-hmm. Um, questioning the drama in the statement. If it's very negative or very positive, sometimes companies will say very positive things about their results that might be a little bit more overly dramatic than what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, checking the facts, considering the motive, um, and really, yeah, just making sure you look for the source of the information and um, yeah. look for counterpoints as well. Like, what's the opposite point of view to what you just read? It's okay to have opinion. I think opinion's good. Yeah, I think we don't want to like get rid of that in finance, which is where the kind of industry is going. But um, it's just identify. Yeah, and you yeah. want to find multiple opinions. Yeah, no, I find it's the best people with money and the best people with in investing seem to be the people that are just curious. They don't really care about if they're right or wrong. They just are curious. Like our friend Andrew Page has this saying that there are no points for originality. You don't need to be the one that's correct. Just be correct. Yeah. And um, by understanding the news and the different perspectives, you kind of take that away. So, yeah. Um, so there's so many different biases at play. Uh, the news can be a great thing. We don't. We're not bashing it up. We're just trying to make you a more informed consumer, particularly when it comes to money because it's so important to people. So um, just consider the source, consider the track record. Yes. My, my number one tip would be do not take any immediate action after reading or listening to a piece of financial news. Always do more research. Mm. Go back to your plan and what you wrote down and don't let fear sort of control your decision-making. Fear or excitement or greed or any of those emotions – when you read or hear something, talk it through with someone, look at the other opinions, go back to your plan and really think about it and add a bit of a pause between what you consume and what you do. I think that's wonderful advice. And the key thing you said there was something that you've written down. A lot of people just write down one, two, three goals. You've got an email come out on this uh, on Thursday. Write down the three goals. Don't overwhelm yourself with 100 goals. Write down the three goals and how are you going to get there? Yep. You'll and evolve that over time. Once you've written it down, you will see, huh, all this new stuff doesn't really make that big of a difference. Yes. You know? And <laughs> most of it is not actionable. And most of it's negative. So try to st- <laughs> limit your intake. Yes. <laughs> um, cool, Kate. There's so many good things to come away with uh, from this episode. We'll put all the resources we mentioned as well as the other episodes that will help you unpack this a bit more. And we've done some episodes on behavioral investing and all those Mm. biases that catch you out. So we'll include those in the show notes if you want to take that a bit further and look at the sources yourself. Yeah. Don't trust us. Go and look at the sources. Google that Tony Robbins thing about market crashes. I'm pretty sure I'm right. (laughs) That could be wrong. Yes. Cool. Okay, Kate. As always, 
Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at risk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.